Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others in the way that Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listen in. So regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning. And we are going to take a long time getting used to this. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. morning. We've got three minutes left of this morning. Um, It is August 1st. We are in our third week of in-person worship. It is so good to see everybody here. Um, Some newer faces, some older faces, but we're one family, so we're, we're really stoked, excited to have you guys here with us this morning. Welcome home. Um, it's the beginning of the last month, uh, and it's a new beginning for a lot of us as we uh, might be transitioning into our first uh, in-person semesters in college or um, a new season, a new semester for many of us younger ones. But you know, we're still in Daniel, so we're going to continue through the book of Daniel. Y'all can open up your Bible with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is after the book of Ezekiel, before the book of Hosea. We are reading through Daniel 6. Daniel 6. We're going to read Daniel 6, verses 10, or actually Daniel 6, verses 13, no, just kidding, I'm just kidding, Daniel 6, verses 12 to the end of the chapter, that's what we're going to do, Daniel 6, verses 12 to the end of the chapter, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, but I highly recommend reading from the NIV or the NRSV, okay? If you don't have a Bible, a physical Bible, let your Jago know. Jago will buy you a Bible. Uh, this is God's holy and perfect word. Can we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? For some of us who are new, we do this liturgical thing where I say, this is the word of the Lord, and I read through scripture, and I say again, this is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God, and we pray together standing. Uh, that's because God's word is holy and perfect, so we're just going to do that together. Daniel chapter 6, verses 12. This is the word of the Lord. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, 
Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing may be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? <clears throat> then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed him, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, den, and no kind of harm was brought, found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Abba, we give you glory. We give you glory and honor. You are good and our mercy endures forever. Abba, we pray for our families, for people who are fearing, people who are not fearing. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with them. Father God, that the grace and the peace of God that only can come from you, Father, that would fill our hearts and our minds right now. Father God, if there's any if there's any distraction that keeps us from hearing your word right now, Lord, we pray that you would just clear that out. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would all be made aware of your presence in this room right now. This is your worship. This is your service. Father God, I pray that you would hide your servant behind your cross. Hide me behind your cross, God, that only you are magnified and glorified. I have no time. I have no place. No reason to be preaching out of myself. 
It is all your words. It is all your wisdom. It is all your glory. Abba, we give you glory. Abba, we thank you for your thoughts. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, would you move in the hearts of your people right now? Help us to be aware of you right in this very moment. We release an awareness of who you are and the reality of who you are upon every head right now. Take us to the next level with you. This is yours. We give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to jump right in. I know, I don't know how else to do this. So we're going to jump right into this. Okay, so this situation. Daniel is a patchwork quilt of situations, right? We've got a lot of different situations in the book of Daniel. And so we're fast forwarding from Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Belshazzar has fallen. It has gone over to Darius the Mede. And the Mede, sorry, it's Media and Persia. This is the new empire. So Babylon has fallen and is now Persia. Darius is king in his 60s. It's said in the previous chapter, Daniel and Darius are in good relationship with one another. Daniel sets up a bunch of leaders over like 130 leaders over different provinces. That's what the chapter starts off with. Among them, Daniel is one. This Daniel rises in power, in prestige, in reputation. Lord knows why, but he does. And so Daniel becomes somebody of power. And they are in good relationship with one another. Now this gets interesting later. But basically, because there are all these leaders who are supposed to be in the same position as Daniel... But there's nothing that's actually stopping Daniel from going ahead of them. For whatever reason, favors upon Daniel, and he's just moving ahead. So all these people, they get a bit jealous, and they plot against Daniel, who is the wisest of the wise and most capable of everyone in the land. At this point, Daniel is not just a wise man. He is a political leader over this empire, this exile. Right, this exile, this diaspora immigrant who was forced out of his land into the land of the empire, rises in ranks, and everybody is dumb tight at the fact that this guy is above him. All right, and so there's this plot that comes against Dan. There's this theme of jealousy towards Daniel that gets Daniel in a bit of trouble. And they say, it says in scripture that they went as a group to the king. Basically, their plot is, all right, they're like, okay, so how can we get this Daniel to die? And so they devise this plot. They go as a group and they devise this plot to make the king hopped up on his own pride and give an injunction or a decree that nobody should worship anybody than the king because Daniel is a guy above reproach. He will always worship God. And they're like, all right, so why don't we make Daniel's uprightness illegal? And so they go as a group. The word as a group is very interesting because the semantic range goes from in company 
to conspiracy with the undertone of rage. It goes from in company to in conspiracy with the undertone of rage. This is really interesting because, and I don't want to say that every single person in this community might be privy to this. There's a difference. Just because everybody gathers in a group, even if it is in the body of Christ, doesn't mean that every single group is gathered for the right reasons. And there's a difference between gathering in community and gathering in conspiracy. And that all lies in the motive of the heart. If the foundations of the relationships that you have built in your community is surrounding conspiracy towards one person or two people, I'm going to put it another way. If all you talk about with your church friends, your sisters, or your brothers is beef, do not be deceived. Not every group that gathers in the body of Christ is set apart. And so we see here this innocent word that literally has a range from translating to in company to conspiracy. Do you understand? It is only a matter of time. There's not even a distinction in that word between company and conspiracy. This word has all those motivations. So watch your heart. Because it is only a matter of a heart switch, not a matter of a word, not a matter of a building, not even a matter of different people, but just the heart. It is a switch between being in good company and being in good conspiracy. And the difference is the undertone of rage. There is a difference between righteous anger and rage. There is a difference between being rightfully angry and rage. Anger, Jesus got angry. He flipped tables. What I love about Jesus. Jesus is not just a kumbaya kind of guy. Jesus is not just a hmm kind of Jesus. Jesus flips tables. He says to merchants in the body of Christ on Sunday morning, he says, y'all have turned this church into a den of thieves. Y'all tripping. And he flips the tables and he walks out. That's the Jesus I love. He is pretty tough. He ain't playing no games. He got no BS going on. Right? But that Jesus had anger. Not rage. I don't know who had to hear that today. If there is rage in your heart, I promise you, even if you feel like you are justified, it is not of God. If you have any rage in your heart towards a person or a group of people, sometimes it's in the family, sometimes it's outside, like completely outside, maybe your friends from 
wherever or you know your relatives or even you know people here if it is rage it is not of the lord no rage is justified the difference between good company and conspiracy found that really interesting but that's not what james came to preach about so there they go in as a group and they go and they talk to this king and they say, oh, King Darius, why don't you make a rule where you are the only person that people can pray to for a month? It's like, ooh, like, you know when, I mean, everybody loves a good hype man or hype woman, all right? Everybody loves a good hype man or hype woman. We've, our resident hype woman is sick. Please be praying for her. Grace is sick today. If y'all did not see her, she's a ball of sunshine that usually sits right here. She's in charge of the podcast and the Instagram, um, but she's sick. So we are praying for you, Grace. Everybody loves a good hype man or hype woman, right? And so they go and they hype this person up. They hype this king up. They're like, yo, you're the best. Yo, you're the best person ever, best king, ain't nobody standing quite like you, like, wow, look at you, all this coming off of you. I think we need a rule that we are going to pray to you for 30 days. It's interesting. A lot of us read that and think, oh, this king wants to be a god. It's not the case. This doesn't deify the king. It just makes him the sole um, representative of deity. So it doesn't actually deify him, but it makes him the sole person in charge of being a god. Now, why would the king say yes to this? If Darius is good friends with Daniel, why would the king say yes to this? Precisely, number one, because it wasn't meant to say Darius is God. It's saying that Darius is close to God. Kind of like how uh, in the Catholic Church, people pray to Mary because Mary will intercede. To, they're not praying to, or I guess Mary is different. Mother of Jesus is different. But when you pray to a saint, a patron saint, in the Catholic Church, you're not actually saying they are God. You're praying to them because they will pray to Jesus, um, that middleman, right? And Darius is saying, I'm the middleman. And that's what these wise men, these satraps, have convinced him to do. But he's also insecure. Darius is a new king. Babylon has fallen, and Darius is a new king. He is insecure about this new position that he has gotten. Everybody knows when you get into the college that you want, when you get the job that you want, when you get the promotion that you want, when you're finally at a place where you like yourself, as much as you're like, yeah, started from the bottom, now here, you're also like, I could lose this. And sometimes we get insecure about the position that we're in. Even though we have this major, sometimes we get insecure about it, right? And Darius here is insecure. And so he says, Sure, I'll make this decree. At this point, the decree is made. Everybody in the kingdom has to pray only to Darius for the rest of the month. Daniel, Darius's good friend, hears about this. And what does he do? 
he goes home and he prays to God. Now, there is no mention of inner turmoil. There is no mention of speech. Daniel says nothing. He just goes home and he prays. They say he bows towards Jerusalem, prays three times a day. Why? What is the significance of Daniel bowing towards Jerusalem? 1 Kings 8, 35 to 36, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. That is a prayer from the dedication of the temple before the temple is in ruins. Right now, I'm going to remind you guys of the context. Daniel is a political leader in the empire of Persia. Why? Israel has fallen. The house of God is in ruins. Everything that was in the house of God that was holy has now been taken as booty and is owned by the empire that plundered them. But Daniel still bows toward the temple in intercession after hearing this decree that every single person in the land of Persia who believes in God will have to bow to Darius instead of God for 30 days, he goes home and he bows towards Jerusalem, which is a sign of intercession, asking for forgiveness on behalf of a nation. He prays three times a day. A lot of the scholars say that praying three times a day, that's just... You don't all of a sudden start doing that out of nowhere. Some of y'all might shower once a day, once every two days. Some freaks, just kidding, not freaks, not freaks, but it's not good for your hair, okay? So stop doing that. Even if it's a little greasy, use some dry shampoo. But some people be showering twice a day. Now, for some people who shower twice a day, they're used to it, and they don't. They want to smell like they want to smell fresh. I know, like men, you know, we've got men have men are more something. Not actually, let me not say sweeping generalizations. Change. Watch yourself. Check yourself right now. But you know, men have different biological makeup, and so sometimes men might be sensitive to their bo. I know some women are also sensitive to our bo, and so we might wash our bodies twice a day, and we might. Ah, in your wash your hair twice a day, and it's like, what is that? Habit for us, right? It's habit for us, right? To some of us who shower once a day or once every two days, like normal humans, um, we look at somebody who showers twice a day, and we, it's, it's crazy. Because how do you, number one, have the time? Number two, I'm going to have to put together my hair all over again twice a day, and then when you sleep on it, you get bedhead, you know, for people who don't have that habit, it's like, what the heck are you doing? Right? But for people who have the habit, it's like second nature. It's like eating. Ain't nobody going to be telling me to eat. Right now, Jango has not eaten anything. My hands are a little shaky. My mouth is a little shaky. All I can think about are eggs right now. I have to be honest with y'all. If y'all are hungry, so am I. Right? But focus. Focus. Focus, focus, focus. What was I saying? Yes. So nobody can tell me to eat. 
Some people we eat to live, other people we live to eat. I live to eat. We just came back from New York for a recording. We were recording our guest speaker for a rise. Let me tell you, it's a crazy ride. We went everywhere and a half. Why? Because the food was calling for us. Y'all talking about, ain't nobody know about that 750 Jazz meal, you know what I mean? Death counts to you, we got all you can eat barbecue, good New York pizza. I'm not trying to make anybody salty right now, but it was so worth it. I live to eat. Saddest part about being in Massachusetts. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What is, what's wrong with me, man? So nobody can tell me to eat because I will eat on my own. I will eat on my own, right? You don't need to remind me of that, but you might need to remind me to do my work because my work is not often a habit. But eating is a habit for me, right? Some of us, reading the word of God is habit. And that comes along with its own like set of problems, right? Um, because we run danger. We run, the, we run the risk of not being able to um, take God's word in sometimes because it's habit for us. And sometimes we just read it without actually even reading it. Some of us who might be going through the Bible for a year or might be reading with our families or might be ha might be going through, you know, devos like it's nobody else's business. And I'm like, yeah, on the outside, you might be looking great, but you might have your own set of temptations to not actually take in the word of God. For others of us, we need to be reminded to read the word of God, right? And it's based on habit. They say that to pray three times a day that's already ingrained in your system. You gotta make room for that. You gotta plan for that. And not only that, you've got to be able to do it like it's second nature to you, right? Just like eating, right? It's gotta be a priority. So this is not something that Daniel is doing out of the blue. Once Daniel hears that every single person in the nation is going to have to pray to Darius instead of God, Daniel goes right back home he prays in the normal time when he was supposed to pray to God. He prays towards Jerusalem. He uses his normal praying time as an opportunity to intercede for his people and ask God for forgiveness in advance. Now, this whole rule was made so that Daniel can fall. So there are these spies who watch him really well, and then they catch him. And they go to Darius and they say, hey, look, Daniel has broken your rule. Daniel would rather pray to God than you. Daniel would skirt around your power to pray to God directly. The thing about a decree from the king and the rule of Media and Persia once a decree is made, it cannot be reversed, even by the guy who said the decree himself. So what happens? Darius is like, oh, shoot. My best friend prays to God. It's a moment of shame for Darius because Darius forgot God and Daniel's relationship with but it is also a moment where Daniel screwed up in friendship 
and screwed his friend over. Darius does everything in his power. King Darius does everything in his power to try and reverse the mistake that he's made. No, not Daniel. I will find a way. I was the one who said the rule, right? I should, there should be a way. I can reverse this. There is no way. And you know what? Darius is dictator. If he really wanted to, I'm sure he can switch the whole rule. But as I mentioned before, Darius is insecure about the power that he has. So once his word can be reversed, that sets a precedent where Darius's word can be reversed in the future. So he has to choose between two things. Let his friend go into the den of lions or compromise his authority. And Darius is like, no, I'm going to find a way to be a good friend again, to make sure my friend does not have to go into this den of lions without compromising my authority. There is no way. And Darius chooses his power. So we see something about the character of Darius. This guy is a good man. He knows what's good. He has a friend who believes in the Most High God and honors that friend, believes in God himself, but he's insecure about his position. And more importantly than that, he forgets his friend. We see here that Darius is loyal. We see here that Darius is a good man. But we see here that Darius, as a companion, as a friend, falls short. Puts his friend in extreme danger. And now his friend is about to die at his expense. Because he freaking ran his mouth. When these random humans that were under him started gassing him up. We see here, like, it's a you don't screwed up moment. You know what I'm saying? We've all had that moment. I know we have a hard time dealing with it, but we are not perfect people. As much as, you know, somebody might do something wrong to you, there is also a chance that you can do something wrong to somebody as well. Always be aware of this, because we are no different than Darius, just as we were no, we was no different than Belshazzar, when last week he completely, put his own interests over the narrative of his family and over the perspective of other people and was completely blind to seeing Nebuchadnezzar. We see a Darius that completely, in the midst of his pride, in the midst of his authority, completely throws his friend under the bus. It happens. Sometimes we hurt the people we love. What I like about Darius is that he owns up to it. The difference between, remember Belshazzar and, and Nebuchadnezzar and Darius? Is that Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, they own up to the things that they do. Right? So Darius owns up to it. He does everything he can to try and stop it, but to no avail. And so he says, look. I don't know what to do. He has until the sun goes down. In these times when the sun goes down, 
it's either the beginning of the night, but it's also considered the beginning of the day, right? The sun goes down. Darius couldn't find a way out for Daniel and Hannah. Darius, because of the him running his mouth, throws his friend, his confidant, the person that took care of him, the person that counseled him, the person he could trust, he throws Daniel into the den of lions. Seals it with his seal, but also the seal of his advisor. Before he throws Daniel into the den of lions, he says, may the God of Israel save you. An imperfect person, a good person, somebody who acknowledges God, but in this moment does something irreversible and throws his wisest person, the person that took care of him, the person, because Daniel, Daniel's older than him, his advisor and one of his closest people in his life, and he throws him into the den of lions. That night, he fasts. Nobody is allowed to distract him. Nobody is allowed to do anything. Nobody's allowed to come to his room. And he, there is no way he sleeps. At the crack of dawn, he runs. He runs to the den. I'm gonna like do a side note, right? There's the significance about the den of lions. It's a very interesting punishment. The den of lions is not just like capital punishment, it's also a form of torture. It's like an ordeal, right? Back then, powerful yet insecure nations have devised tortures and deaths with incredible imagination. The conception is simple. Develop a pit and put lions in it. Hungry lions. The victim, in this case Daniel, he could be thrown in. A stone blocks the point of entry and the Daniel and the lions will be allowed to do their work. Since the punishment is the execution of a royal degree, the, kills, the, the king seals the entrance with his seal. This doesn't lock the door, but it helps prevent anybody to open it at night. Because in the morning, if it opens, the seal would be broken. So the king goes in the morning. He calls out for Daniel, Daniel, has your God saved you? We see here hope in Daniel, in Darius. Hope in God. Hope in the God that Daniel believes in. We also see here a Darius that is broken by his mistake. He was foolish, was caught up in his own pride, was caught up in his own perspective, was caught up in his own position and his own insecurity about the power that he wielded, that he put his best friend in a gridlock. Checkmate. All of a sudden, Daniel is in this position where he does nothing and gets capital punishment. Daniel here does nothing wrong. Daniel's belief gets criminalized out of the blue. It's like pulling thong out of thin air. 
Who does that to him? Darius. The main person that Daniel disciples, raises up as a ruler, as a leader. And Darius, in this morning, he goes, has your God saved you? We see here Darius' heart for Daniel. We see here Darius' hope in God. I believe this is really important. Sometimes we're going to screw up, hurt our significant others, hurt our parents, hurt the people that love us, the people that serve us. We're not always going to be the best people. Darius here, he knows he done screwed up. But he has hope in who? The Lord. We see hope in Darius here. The only reason why I point this out, even though that's not the point of this passage, is because I believe that there's practical wisdom here. Even when we are at our worst, it's not just about our suffering. It's not just about our insecurities and our pains, but sometimes, because of our brokenness, our insecurities and our pains lead us to do things that we shouldn't have done. Maybe because we're afraid of losing reputation or something. Maybe we've done something that we shouldn't have done. There is grace for Darius in this story. Because he hopes in God. Not just hoping in Daniel, but hoping in the Lord. Believing for the fact that God loves Daniel. That God's going to work with him. We see here, calls out, I can't imagine how long that silence must have been. I don't know what it's like to throw my best friend or to throw the main person in my life that I love into a dead of harvest by my mistake, by a moment of weakness. But I'm sure that moment, I'm sure it would be hard for him to even look Daniel in the eye. I'm sure that that in, in and of itself is not going to be easy. Because he knows he done screwed up. But he calls out because ain't nobody got time for shame or anything like that. Daniel's either dead or alive at this point. So he calls out. He says, are you alive? He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, forgive me. He says, has God saved you? Daniel goes, praise God. An angel of the Lord has shut the mouth of the lions. I am not touched. I am not harmed. God has delivered me. Because I have done nothing wrong before the Lord. And I have done Nothing to hurt you.
If we can switch positions to Daniel for just one second. There's a lot to be unpacked about the way that Daniel responds to Darius' fear. Daniel says, praise God, I am not harmed. The angel of the Lord came and saved me from this situation. Because I am innocent before him. Now, Daniel could have left it at just that. He could have left it at just, I'm innocent. There is this under, underlying understanding that Darius was caught in a trap. Right? And if Darius and Daniel were on the same page about what the situation was, Daniel would have left it at that because it was a situation where the satraps tried to knock him over because they were gathered, this group was gathered in conspiracy. Like I said before, it is a matter of time before any group inside the church, outside the church, in the home, outside the home, in your workplaces, in your schools, it is only a matter of time between good company becomes conspiracy and rage, right? And then there, if, if Darius and Daniel were on the same page that this was the fruit of conspiracy, Daniel would not have said this next bit, but Daniel says, I have done nothing to hurt you. In here, the only thing that Daniel says in this whole chapter, we see Daniel's perspective. He's caught in this decree. All of a sudden, this very weird decree, the person that he loves and is and is taking care of, who is the king, the person that comes to him for advice, almost like a son figure, right? Or a younger brother figure to him. All of a sudden says this very uncharacteristic degree, decree and criminalizes him. But Daniel, because he believes in God, he continues doing his thing, gets caught, and has to go into a den of lions. The only thing the king says to him is, may your God save you. To this point, I don't know what I've gone, and I don't want to, I don't want to make it about the imagination of the Lord, but I'm seeing like, when I, when I read this, I wept because we see, we hear a loneliness in Daniel's words here. We see that Daniel was courageous, but he was also firm. Maybe he felt like the person that he loved misunderstood him. Maybe he felt all of a sudden that the person that he loved and took care of no longer liked him and wanted him dead. Maybe he thought that there was a misunderstanding and that this person that he loved was under the impression that he hurt him. We see here, 
Darius says, I have done nothing wrong before the Lord. And I've done nothing to hurt you. As a pastor, this resonates with me more than anything. But I, and I don't, but I, and I hope it resonates with all of you as well in your lives in some ways. Some of us have been in situations where we were misunderstood. We've been in situations where maybe the people that we were taking care of seems to have turned. Or maybe the people that we loved, a significant other, a spouse, a child, a sibling, things have gone wrong. But we see here in Daniel that God's shutting of the mouths of the lions is a moment for Daniel to say to Darius, before Darius can even say sorry, before Darius can even apologize, because let's face it, Daniel did nothing wrong. But before Darius can even say sorry, he says, I haven't hurt you. We see here a God who vindicates us when we are misunderstood, when we are in a situation where there is a misunderstanding and it seems like it's just so extreme, like so random, so out of the blue, when things go terribly wrong and you're in a position where your character and your integrity is being tested, we see a God that vindicates us. It's a situation where two people that love each other are in great big misunderstanding. Darius screwed up, hurts Daniel. Daniel is under the impression that Darius thinks that Daniel has hurt him. No words exchanged, just gets thrown into the den. But Daniel lives to see another day. It says, the God of heaven sent an angel to protect me. I'm okay. I'm okay. I haven't done anything against you either. I'm innocent before God. And I have done nothing to harm you. Some of us might be wondering, maybe these lions were very docile lions. Maybe they were not hungry. Maybe they were drugged. Maybe their mouths were tied. Somehow, some way. There's always a way. We see when the accuser is their kids and their wives get thrown. It says in the scripture that before their bodies hit the floor, their, their bones are broken and devoured. The decree of Darius establishes God again. Darius gives another decree. 
I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. There's no sign of reconciliation here between Darius and Daniel. And you might even almost miss it because the point of the end of the chapter wasn't actually about the two of them reconciling. But Darius is reconciled to God. And Daniel prospered. It says in the last line, Daniel prospered. A side note, why would, if Daniel is God's servant, and if God is a love of grace, a God is a God of love and grace, why does Daniel watch as these families get devoured? We must keep in mind that Daniel is also still a person in exile. This scene is presented to a generation of God's people who felt helpless in the grips of their oppressors. Their own families were impotent in the face of exploitation. They were being daily manipulated for purposes other than their own. So it's not a position where Daniel can speak up. It's not a position where Daniel can say nothing. These accusers, they were the ones who were prospering. Um, so that's something to keep in context. But how can we apply this into our lives? The first thing is that in conflicts in law, God prevails. When you're in a situation where the word of another person or of government conflicts with scripture, scripture always prevails. Always. For example, the law of loving one another prevails over thinly veiled with the guise of Christianity laws that condemn people for things that don't harm anybody. Off of their color of their skin. Off of the person that they love. Nobody knows what God is actually thinking. Not on this earth. Nobody actually knows what God fully has to say about these things. The way that the conservative evangelical church hierarchy criminalizes things or makes people on a sliding scale of authority That does not take priority over the command of God to love one another. The, a very practical check is, does this law come into conflict with God's commands for me? Last I checked, when it comes to personal sin, regardless of where we stand on anything regarding LGBTQ, regarding abortion regarding all of these like loud words that really is nobody else's business but the person whatever you believe on these things that's between you and the lord last i checked 
The only prevailing commandment is to love one another. So if anybody, in any given situation, if you are ever in a moment where something clearly comes into the conflict with that, this law, we must unlearn and we must learn to listen to people with different colored skin than us, to people with different socioeconomic location, social position, people who identify with different pronouns. I'm not saying anything about my personal position on these things. I don't think that's necessary to say to you. We must learn to love one another. Laws are prioritized by what God says in his word towards us. And a cod, like a codic system, a code of morals, we're not judge, so it does not pertain to us. God will not commend you for condemning somebody when you enter into the kingdom of heaven. God will ask you, why did you decide to be me for a day? Why did you decide to play God for a day? And in that sense, if we do that, are we no different? Is it not, is it not the case that we are no different from Darius and Belshazzar? Believing that we could play God and identify properly what these people are and are not. I believe that is not our place. I'm welcome to have conversations about theology with you. I am still a pretty theologically conservative person. But never, never. We must keep each other accountable. We must learn to love one another and not tell people what to do with their lives. That is not what is going to increase the numbers of the body of Christ in the kingdom of heaven. And I, love, I don't believe that's our place. I don't believe that's our place. In the conflicts of law, God prevails. Israel, here, is not seen to be a nation, but it's seen to be the church. Daniel bows towards Jerusalem on behalf of his country because it's a theocracy. And it just so happens that the entire country is a, is a religion, okay? It's a different governmental structure than us. But he's not bowing to Capitol Hill. He's not bowing to the Sanhedrin. He is bowing to the temple, which means that Daniel is interceding, not, behalf of, not on behalf of the nation, he's interceding on behalf of the church. Israel is not America. Israel is the body of Christ. We cannot mess that up. We answer to the Lord. The next thing that we can apply is Darius's character. Anxiety. When we have anxiety about what we own, what we have in our hands, 
that often means that we have very little fear. Anxious about losing this person that I love. Anxious about losing this job that I have. Anxious about losing this position. Anxious about where I'm headed. Anxious about my place amongst these group of people, these groups of people, about these institutions that I'm in, these higher level institutions, high school, middle school, college, afterwards. Anxious about getting accepted to where we want to go. When our anxiety overtakes us to the point where we do something like a decree, remember, we are no different than Darius. Remember that anxiety can be guarded with faith and peace. Oftentimes, when anxiety overtakes us, that means that we are not believing that God will be with us. When you are that anxious about letting go and losing somebody, that obviously means that you don't trust God enough to take care of you, to be who he says he is. And if you lose this one thing that you're holding on to, you are worthless. That's what you're believing. That's what your anxiety implies. Now, I believe that anxiety can also be a mental health issue. I have clinical anxiety. But there is also something spiritual about anxiety. We can combat anxiety with faith. That God can trust us. That God can work it out. Darius was not anxious about Daniel to the point where he was like, Daniel, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Who did Darius believe in in the end? God. Because even relationally, God will work it out. If both people are looking towards the Lord, God will work it out. It does not matter. It does not matter. God will work it out. If you truly believe that God will work it out, if you are truly willing to prioritize God over this thing that you're not willing to let go of, over this thing that you're anxious over, over this thing that you're hurting the people that you love, you love in order to protect. Hurting yourself and other people because you keep freaking out. God will work it out. Often what we need is not just better communication. It's faith, guys. Faith and trust in the Lord that God will work it out. Instead of investing into your plan B, invest into trust. If y'all have the time and space to start your Roth IRAs, invest into prayer. If you have time and space to do your homeworks like 40s in advance, you clearly have time to pray. If you have time to put in X amount of resumes a day, you clearly have time 
to pray. You have no idea what you might be signing up for if you're not careful. Wisdom comes from the Lord. There are deceitful groups in the world. Not every group is just good company. It's a matter of time before good company turns into conspiracy. And all you talk about with the people that you actually like ride with is just beef. Totally amount of time before your best friend just becomes your venting buddy. It's only a matter of time. Guard your heart against this and discern with wisdom. But wisdom only comes from the Lord. Finally, the last thing I want to leave you with is Daniel. When I read this chapter, I, my personal thought, and this is just me talking, not just as somebody who's behind a pulpit right now, but just as a person. Sometimes when you're under a situation where people think something of you that you aren't, it gets really scary. A lot of us who might have had fallouts with our friends or might be in a situation of relational conflict with our parents. Maybe our kids are misunderstanding us. Maybe our spouses are misunderstanding us. Um, there's something about the people that we love that bring in this level of vulnerability. And when that goes wrong, often, I believe that it gets a bit terrifying to work with that. So I believe that Daniel's a very, very courageous. I'm guessing he's a thinker. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, he kind of has to be. He's just so like, he's clearly like not caught up in his feelings. Um, and if he's a thinker, damn. Um, but I, 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 I wonder if that last sentence that he said to Darius, I have not harmed you. I have not wronged you. I promise. Might have taken just as much courage as going to the dead itself. Because even in that moment, he didn't have to see him. Clearly, who the hell cares what Darius thinks? Darius can throw him in a bed. Darius can, you know, carry him on his shoulders and lift him into the kingdom of heaven. Clearly the person that determines Daniel's life is God. Daniel clearly answers to the Lord and not to a king and not to the people he takes care of and not to their moms and their children and their grandmas, right? But yet he, he still says this sentence. And I, I believe that it displays a lot of inner courage for Daniel to stay consistent for Daniel to continue to pray, even though this person that loves him has all of a sudden criminalized him. 
That act of courage comes from a lifetime of prayer. If you guys haven't been in a position where people have misunderstood you before, if you haven't been in a position where you know your friends that you thought you you were tied with, all of a sudden you find out they're saying another thing, or maybe people in your family that you think that you trusted act out of line with what you thought they were. I mean, we're Darius and we're Danny. We're all of the above because um, we're human. And so I'm not speaking into any situations and that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm trying to say it takes courage to have hope in God. And it takes courage to stay in prayer. And it takes courage. It takes courage to trust God. But that big courage some of you guys might be wondering, why haven't I had my lion's den moment? How come God has never delivered me like that before? This act of courage comes from a lifetime of prayer. It comes from him bowing before Jerusalem three days a day when nobody else is watching. Daniel being able to interpret dreams comes from a lifetime of talking to God. Don't say, Jane, though, where is my encounter? When the only times that you pray are Sundays and arise. This courage, this breakthrough was won in the den. The victory of the dead was won in the prayer room. Friday's breakthrough is won on your knees in tears when nobody else is watching on Thursday night. Don't get it twisted. God is not somebody to mess with. God will work it out. Can we take this moment to pray? Some of us, we might be anxious about the people that we pray about. Some of us, we might be in a situation like Darius. Some of us, we might be in a situation like Daniel. I'm not God. I don't know where you guys are at. Some of us, we might not feel like we are in a relational conflict with anybody, but we might not feel like anybody understands us. We might not feel seen by anybody. Maybe because we don't know how to talk to people. Maybe because we don't know how to communicate our feelings. Some of us, we are putting up a front about how we're actually feeling. We're smiling on the outside, but we're crying on the inside. Some of us, quarantine has messed us up. We've closed ourselves off. For some of us, our families are in a lot of conflict right now. We don't know how to talk to our parents. We don't know how to talk to our siblings. We don't know how to talk to our spouses. We don't know how to talk to our children. We're not always on the same page anymore. Things have changed. Some of us, we're anxious about our futures. We're anxious about where we're headed. We're anxious about where we are. We're not happy with where we're at, but we don't know how to move forward. Could we lift up anxieties to the Lord? God, 
can and will be with you. He might not work it out in the way that you're expecting. You might come out of you as after you wrestle with God, you might come out of come out of this with a bent hip like Jacob. But I promise you, God is listening. He is here. I promise you that more than the things you're holding on to, God sees you. More than the things that you're holding on to that you can't let go of, God is greater. More than the things that you're looking at to solve your problems, God is greater. God sees you when nobody else sees you. God understands you when nobody else understands you. When it feels like nobody else loves you, God loves you. When it feels like you are in this misunderstanding and there's no way out, God vindicates you. That is our God. God is stronger. God is greater than both your greatest anxiety and the greatest greatest thing on this earth. So can we take this moment to lift up wherever our hearts are at, whatever you feel convicted by, whatever comes to mind, can we just take this moment to bring it before God? Maybe some of us are not willing to bring it before the Lord. Maybe some of us are not willing to bring it before the Lord. But could we just take this moment to just lift this before the God of prayer? Let's take this moment. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.